Podcast number 104, The Terrible Twos. There are 52 weeks in a year and, uh, okay, okay, you got it. <laughs> Welcome back to, to the show. We are here again and um, looking forward to sharing with you for another hour or so. I'm Troy Patterson and with me is... I'm Sean McGurr and I think I'm here this week. Yes, this is going to be good. And did I talk long enough for you to do whatever it was you were doing? No, nope, <laughs> keep talking. I'm, I'm almost done. <laughs> we start the show with Sean going, oh, I got one more thing. Uh, it's okay. I'll do it while you're talking. <laughs> yeah, so if there was any doubt as to whether or not Sean paid attention to when I was talking, there is no longer any doubt whatsoever. Oh, I hey, what I want. Sean. <laughs> what? If a Buddhist monk were to walk into a restaurant, and the restaurant, and the waiter comes up and says, what can I get you? What would the Buddhist month respond? Uh, I don't know, but I will do this. While you're talking, I'm going to check to see if you put the answer in white. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What would the Buddhist monk say? The Buddhist monk would, of course, say, make me one with everything. Oh. <laughs> And thanks to Stephen for that one, sending that one along. Listener Stephen, we appreciate the feedback. And we're presuming listener at this point, not reader, I guess. That's true, yeah, because you can also find this uh, these show notes at middleschoolmatters.com. And uh, you can post a comment there, which is what Stephen did, and we really appreciate that. You could also send us an email at middleschooleducators at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, you find us on Facebook and Twitter as MS Matters. We we take a look there as well. So, you know, can I just all- say one more time that creating a Facebook fan page ought to be a lot more a lot easier. <laughs> well, it's ridiculous, and it's easy to create multiple look. I shouldn't say multiples. You can create lookalikes or things that are really close because there is a middle school matters fan fan page on Facebook or or there's a group. I guess there's a group. There's that's, a that's, group, yeah. and that's not us. It's not us. No, it's not us. But. Oh, I don't know. Do you think Facebook and we're this is a this is our own version of a rat hole because <laughs> it's done to shut us? But do you think that maybe Facebook is uh, hit its peak and there, it, it, as soon as somebody comes along with a way to to make a better fan page? I, I don't know. I think that it's incredibly hard. It just seemed like it should have been obvious, and it really wasn't um, to create a fan page. But I think Facebook is at this point, kind of winning the war. I think they came along at the right time, kind of the right place, and they've gotten the magic mojo. They've kind of... MySpace had the mojo for a little while, but they what they didn't have is common acceptance. You know, they had a the slice of the really, the young, the youth market. The difference with Facebook is once Facebook opened it up, you saw, you know, mothers, grandmothers... Mm-hmm. Kind of taken hold of it, and so I I think they've kind of um, um, done well with winning the war, so to speak. Uh, though it was interesting that uh, they came out and said, uh, "Yeah, privacy. Yeah, don't worry about that because you don't have it." <laughs> the there is an interesting alternative, and I've been playing around with this a little more recently than. Um, I did when I first signed up for it, and, there, and I don't know if I've talked about it on the, on the show or not, but there is a, a 
similar flavor version uh, site called Netlog. That's very similar to Facebook. I do like some aspects of Netlog. I think better than I like. Facebook is very nice, clean interface, very easy to access, quick here and there. Um, all the stuff is at the top. You hit that, boom, boom, boom. You know, you can get to where you want to go, and and it's very, very easy to access information. Uh, Netlog is a little more complex. They still have the thing across the top, but then you got submenus that drop down underneath. But I do like some things. Like, for example, if I want to know who looked at my page, um, there's a – and they're a Netlog user. I, it's right there, and it says who they are. Um, it's fairly easy to become uh, friends on Netlog. It's still the same process as, like, Facebook. But setting up um, other things like fan pages and brands and uh, groups and whatnot does seem to be a little easier. Now, I haven't set one up yet, but – um, getting to things seems a little difficult, but it does seem to be pretty easy to set up, set up groups and whatnot. So I don't know, maybe uh, maybe I'll start playing around more with NetLog and, and, and groups. Maybe we'll make a group page over there. Yeah, I didn't I know. like... The other question is, how many people use NetLog? You have to understand, right. a large part of our audience is the United States, and NetLog is a very European thing, um, from what I understand. So we're talking about like the Facebook of Europe, not yeah. talking about you know Facebook of the world. And we do have some listeners who are outside of the United States, mm-hmm. and we appreciate them very much. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that NetLog forced you to send me things, though. Cause That's true. I said, Sean, and, what was this? And you said, oh. <laughs> it was very sneaky, and I didn't like that at all because it, it, in order to finish out your registration, it says – it, it, it worded it funny, and it made it look like you were saying no to not, you know, I don't want to send this to everybody in my address book. But the way it's worded, when you hit the – the obvious response, boom, it sends it to everybody in your ass yeah. book, and you're going, holy cow. I didn't like that. No, I didn't like that either. The other thing is that this is more gamey in some respects. Uh, yeah, this is a big rat hole. <laughs> Wait, um, okay, just, just, just for reference, we, we, haven't, we haven't gotten to the show notes yet. We spent, <laughs> we spent <laughs> a, you know, a couple of hours getting show notes together, and then... Here goes Sean, <laughs> right down the trail. It's <laughs> <laughs> easy to do this week for me. Um, so back to my point. Uh, <laughs> there was a point? <laughs> that was the point. It, it is more uh, commercialized, I think, than Facebook. Facebook's got the two advertisements on the right-hand side, and the rest of the space is yours. But on, on NetLog, I've got an invitation to join Foreign Legion, Buckets of Blood, a 3D shooter, now on NetLog. And then uh, there's six brands, and the brands in the spotlight on the right-hand side. Um, my favorite, Chili. Uh, designers again. No, again something. Oh, and, and of course, I'm a big fan of Manchester United, which, of course, is an, a British soccer team. Uh, I don't get a chance to see them very often. I will say this: I've played them on the Wii, but has nothing. No, there's no no connection to other real life. So there's brands and spotlight brands that I don't have a connection with. But it does make it easy. I mean, well, it, it's easy to connect with folks. Um, there's more I can do with Netlog, but it's not as easy to do it. Does that sound right? Yeah. Well, I understand that, but I think the biggest issue is. Any kind of social network is only going to be as powerful as the one that your friends are on. And if they're willing to take the time to do it, then it's worthwhile. And this makes it just a little more, yeah. eh, you know, so, and, add, and then add more effort into it. The majority of people are on Facebook, so. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Well, so thanks, our, our thanks to you, our listeners. We are a top 20 podcast in K-12 Yay. education. That's right, we are. And we'd appreciate your help by uh, by giving us a recommendation. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, do a little rating on iTunes. So if you head over to iTunes, go ahead. We'll, we'll wait for you. We'll just go ahead and hit pause. We'll wait for you. And then go over to iTunes, do a rating, put in a review. We appreciate it. That's uh, one of the ways that you it helps keep us up there on the uh, iTunes. <laughs> Sounds like getting a mouse over there. Um, <laughs> uh, keeps us up on the on the iTunes zone. Um, uh, actually, I do have a mouse. It's it's yes, it's, I, it's right here. Yes. Um, and I think you were using that mouse to search Twitter. Oh, I was using it to set up a group on Netlog. <laughs> But yes, uh, Twitter's good. A um, couple of things. Uh, there is, a, if you run into problems with your IT department where they don't like to have you access certain things, or I, obviously every educational uh, institution that has some sort of uh, blocking software where they're going to block something um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, sometimes it's hard to get what you want when you get to school, and, and you just can't get that website that you want. Well, mm-hmm. uh, PDF My Earl turns any site into a PDF. And uh, apparently he was on Fluent News, and Doc Tatum uh, uh, put that in his Twitter uh, link or Twitter uh, stream. And so I, I'm putting that there for you with the link. And so what you could do is you could take that that URL, that website, <clears throat> and turn it into a PDF and bring it in and flash it up there on the screen as a PDF and have the kids look at it and examine it. That way, that way you're, you don't have to worry about the filters and the whatnot. Um, yeah, you could you could also if you have um, if you have any kind of shared space or if you're running something like Moodle through your district, that would be very handy just to know that the site wasn't going to change. So even if you're not worried about say that site getting blocked, but you have a site that changes regularly, you could go ahead and um, print it as a you know PDF and have that available. Mm-hmm. That's true. Now, uh, if you're on a Mac, you could do file. How is it, is it any different than doing a file print and save as a PDF? Um, do you no, know? Well, this would be you'd run it through their. It looks like a JavaScript type program okay. on the net, but essentially it does the same thing. Yeah, okay. on a Mac, it would be the same as what you'd do, which of course would be if you're on a Mac. That's true. Yes. Um, free tech for teachers that we can review. Uh, popular items are listed there. We've kind of included his um, link as a weekly feature in our in our Twitterverse. Uh, things like Google Earth Layer about the earthquake in Haiti, uh, creating podcasts from soup to nuts. Soupy soupy podcast that that would be interesting. It'd be like uh, Leo's uh, food podcast. Um, more than a hundred editorial cartoons lesson plans for teaching a current events class. Steering clear of cyber tricks um, and biology animations library. So, and those are all available at Free Technology for Teachers. We can review. That's most right. Popular yep. items. Yep. Oh, let's see here. Um, oh, Tennessee has passed a teacher evaluation bill. Uh, it's worthy of checking up because a lot of states are running for the uh, race to the top funds, and mm-hmm. one of the requirements for race to the top is changing how teachers are evaluated and more closely tying those uh, teachers to uh, how well their students are doing. 
Uh, it passed the state Senate in Tennessee 29 to 3 vote. They expect the governor to sign it, but that's what it's going to look like. So take a look at that, and it's going to take time to dig through it. Um, and I'm going to spend maybe a little time here this afternoon looking at it so that I can talk about it next week. But um, there's your there's your preview link. I thought this was interesting. This is not necessarily dealing with education, but it, um, more along the lines of self-promotion. So you want to get your kids recognized or you want to get yourself recognized or you want to get some things going. Uh, PC Mike is retweeting, retweeting Mac Mike News, a clever graphic of the Apple App Store economy, which is kind of interesting if you're dealing with the economics. I thought the interesting part was that PC Mike is retweeting Mac Mike News. That's himself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which he kind of does. Yes. So, uh, you know, you want to get yourself noticed out there, and then you want to, you know, cite, cite, make it look like you're citing somebody else. You could do it this way. Well, and they say that if you want to get retweeted, there's several things you could do. One is that you tweet between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay. That you include one link. And that you uh, to and that the you have something of value in there. A graphic, an address, well, and just, an earl. You just something that, was, the graphic some, something that was of value. So, right, the graphic part was is actually the earl that he's. It's an owlie that he put in there. So anyway, that wasn't necessarily the link that I found interesting. I just found that you know, if you're looking for some promotion, this is a way to do it. Guess what we're doing next week. I don't know. What are we doing next week? Retweeting ourselves. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not retweeting myself. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, virtual nerds. Uh, slithering girl or slithering real life RL 96 um, posted a link. Finally understands the questions from the algebra test. Thank you, virtual nerds. And this might be another one where they're promoting themselves because virtual nerd is a science and math website where if you need to know how to do something, there's text, there's a um, visual presentation. Somebody's actually talking and showing how the problem works. If you're not sure about a certain step, you can click on the step and then it'll go through and show you that step. But it builds a layer of windows out so that you can always backtrack through the problem and you don't have to worry about clicking back windows that's all built in this layer out in front of you. So then as you drill down into the different aspects of the problem you need to understand, uh, you can then always back up and back up to the original window to work your way back, drill up, so to speak, back into the original problem. I love the rationale. It says, you know, and this was me when, when I was in, in high school, for example. If I missed one thing, if I missed one thing in math class, that was critical to understanding everything that was else, everything else that was coming down the road. They got to the point where I felt overwhelmed and frustrated, and I, I collapsed. And um, and uh, virtual nerds kind of helps with that because you're able to drill down into the content and figure out where it is that you're not understanding something. Then go back up and solve the problem. So it's, it's it is a way to catch up. It's a way to go back, find out what you need to know, and then solve the problem. So that's, that might be something that helps your students um, here in the coming weeks. Cool. Uh, let's see. Steve Barkley. Steve Barkley. Mm-hmm. Yep, he has tools supporting teaching with math with rigor. Yes, he does. Which wasn't mine. <laughs> Who does mine? Okay, um, this was kind of interesting. This was just a... Um, 
some different math games, some different math activities, just a nice list of them. So if you're into teaching math, you can check that out. Cool. I did check out the, another uh, post by Dr. Tatum. Uh, it says, V-touching videos on student engagement projects get ideas and inspired. And this is from We Are Teachers. He's retweeting NMHS principal. Um, so I went to the website and poked around, and it's a it's a it's a commercial site. But what they do is they take twenty percent of their profits and they they send them they put them in a fund, and then teachers can then write grant proposals and compete for the fund. Um, the grant is the same no matter what it looks like, uh, two hundred dollars for the classroom and a flip video camera. Uh, the one I looked at was uh, a a brand new um, newspaper publishing class in a middle school. And they competed for the grant, and they used the grant for uh, the purchase of a second video camera. So now they have two video cameras. It's a print journalism class, but I think they're going to be moving it towards more of a, a interactive, or no, I shouldn't say interactive, a, a web-based uh, video news um, device or, uh, or class. Um, and so having the two cameras be very important, and then the, they have the two hundred dollars on top of that to do some things. So, and they're all, they're already a very um, tech-savvy school. I mean, all the kids are using uh, computers, and, and you could tell from the, the, the screens that they're already using uh, uh, page-building devices, uh, page-building page sites for, for journalism. Um, and that's transition right over into, into incorporating video. So, But uh, check it out. It's, it's competitive. You can compete for it. You do have to sign up for it. Uh, of course, also means you're going to be uh, looking at... Um, Maybe purchasing some stuff as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the advisory activity for this week is um, from the Red Cross. It's called Masters of Disaster. Um, and it is um, be safe in um, be disaster safe. And um, – I thought this was kind of interesting. There, there might be some a, a lot of stuff you'd have to adjust based on how much time you have. But it's also kind of interesting because Red Cross has uh, Masters of Disaster for grades K through 2, 3 through 5, and 6 through 8. And, um, you know, you can take a look at it. It's got some resources for you to, to use. Uh, you could easily adjust a lot of this. And it's just something with uh, the earthquake in Haiti right now that is very timely. Um, and as we enter into either the uh, tornado season and um, the lightning kind of season that uh, thought it might be timely for to address with kids and what you can do. In the um, grade six through eight, they have be disaster safe, facing fear, in the aftermath, home safety, fire prevention and safety, wildland fires, earthquakes, floods, hurricanes, lightning, tornadoes, and resources. Um, you can purchase the uh, all of this on a CD if you wish. Or, <laughs> my favorite way, you can go online and get it all for free. So, um, and they've they've got some things, and some of it's pretty straightforward. But it's it's kind of nice that they they give you um, they give you some of the structure, they give you some of the activities. For example, if you go to be disaster safe, they have four lessons there. They have the cycle, uh, which is lesson one. 
Lesson two is prepare. Lesson three is respond. And lesson four is recover. Um, and, you know, the cycle they have where they have key concepts, key terms and concepts, um, an overview there, and then a couple of activities, cycles and getting the word out. So they have stuff that you can use. Um, and uh, some of it is nice A-square kind of activity stuff that you could take a look at, or advisory kind of stuff. I don't know as though everybody calls it A-square. So cool. so you can check that out. Uh, it can be useful. Um, Find anything on the web this week? I did. Um, there's a couple of things. There was um, Alfie Cohn has written a article that is getting a lot of uh, play right now and a lot of response. His article is entitled Debunking the Case for National Standards. And this is available at edweek.org. Um, and I'll, I'll quote some of it here. I keep thinking it can't get much worse, and then it does. Throughout the 90s, one state after another adopted prescriptive education standards enforced by frequent standardized testing, often the high-stakes variety. A top-down, get-tough movement to impose, quote, accountability began to squeeze the life out of classrooms. A decade ago, many of us thought we'd hit bottom until the floor gave way and we found ourselves in a basement we didn't know existed. Um, and he goes on to talk about how we do the national testing now. With, I'm sorry, not the national testing, but nationally we do testing um, in every grade, three through eight, no child, that's the no child left behind. Um, and um, I like this quote too. Ludicrously unrealistic proficiency targets suggested that the federal law responsible for it was responsible was intended to sabotage rather than improve public education. Today we survey the wreckage. Talented teachers have abandoned the profession after having been turned into glorified test prep technicians. Um, my aside, I wonder how many how much abandonment we've actually we've really seen. I mean that's a pretty bold statement. And I don't know if that is something that has changed drastically over the last 20 years or not. Um, personally, I haven't really, I haven't seen too much of that. I've seen, you know, I haven't seen a lot of talented teachers leaving because of the, uh, I've seen a lot of frustration from talented teachers. But mm. I, I haven't necessarily seen them leaving. So, I think that may be true more as we move into more federalization of education than the, the less less control I think teachers feel they have over the classroom, the more frustration they're going to feel, in the, and and that I think will drive them out of the classroom. Yeah, of course, well, in, in this economy, there's I mean, where do you maybe, go? But yeah. So uh, continue on with Alfie Cohn's. Um, Low income teenagers have been forced out of school by do or die graduation exams. Countless inventive learning activities have been eliminated in favor of prefabricated lessons, pegged to state standards. Um, so there's some of what what he says that I'm not sure that I personally agree with 100%. Um, mm -hmm. But he makes lots and lots of really, really good um, um, good cases. And when we talk about race to the top, I think that, you know, first of all, you have to respect 
that the federal government has turned this into a national movement without spending, without dictating that people have to do it, but every state, because of the money involved, is going to end up adopting these standards. Um, and uh, let me let me put my diatribe on hold here and go back to Elfie Khan's article. Um, Quoting again, have we lost our minds because we're certainly in the process of losing our children's minds? Uh, let us be clear about the latest initiative, which is being spearheaded by politicians, corporate CEOs, and companies that produce standardized tests. First, what they are trying to sell us are national standards. They are careful to point out that the effort isn't driven by the federal government. But if all or nearly all the states end up adopting identical mandates, that distinction doesn't amount to much. And I think Elfie, I think Elfie is right on with that one. I think that the politicians have gotten better and better at making these changes and making it seem like we didn't tell you to do it. We just offered you the opportunity. <laughs> you know, they did that with No Child Left Behind, and now they're doing that with Race to the Top. Um, and I think back to the article that you discussed last week with the the teacher of the year who was sitting with mm-hmm. the politicians. I think that was uh, right on. Second, these standards will inevitably be accompanied by a national standardized test. And I think that's right on. There's no point in having standards unless you have some way of measuring that. Mm-hmm. And it's that measuring issue that is... Uh, crucial to us because the measuring is going to be a standardized test. It's going to be a standardized multiple choice test. That's just, it's the the efficient way to do this on a national level. It's an efficient way to do it on a statewide level. doesn't mean it's the right way. It means it's the efficient way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also quotes the uh, how, uh, Harold Howe II, a former U.S. Commissioner of Education, who said that we need to make the standards, quote, as vague as possible (laughs) because um, of lots of things. Okay, third, a relatively small group of experts, far from classrooms, will be designing standards, test questions, and curricula for the rest of us. Um, Incredibly, the official website of the Common Core State Standards Initiative, wow, insist that these will be, quote, based on evidence rather than reflecting anyone's, quote, individual beliefs about what is important, end quote. But evidence can tell us only whether a certain method is effective in reaching a certain objective. For example, how instruction aligned with this standard will affect the score on a test. The selection of the goal itself, what our children will be taught and test on, unavoidably reflects values and beliefs. Should And he asked, should those of a single group of individuals determine what happens in every public school in the country? Hmm. Advocates of national standards say they want all American students to attain excellence no matter where they happen to live. The problem is that excellence is being confused with entirely different attributes, such as uniformity, rigor, specificity, and victory. Um, And then he's going to go on and talk about that. And I think about the work that Daniel Pink is doing right now and and others based on creativity and how that's our strength. And then we're going to – 
<laughs> and then we're going to look at um, some new in, in new things such as motivation. And I think Daniel Pink has a new book out about that too. Yep, it's called Drive, and um, it's it's very thought provoking. If you've heard his TED uh, talks, there's a lot of that in there. This is a lot deeper than that. If you heard him at NMSA, it uh, that is in here as well. Um, but this goes into more detail than that. Um, I'm not through a lot of it yet, but yeah, I can see all those threads and, and, and strings that he brought out at, both in his TED Talk and at uh, NMSA's keynote that he, uh, he delivered. But uh, this is, talks about uh, what motivates uh, folks. Surprise the truth, what motivates him. And uh, carrot and stick method works for one thing, but you know what? Seeing examples like Wikipedia, um, it's ironic because I read across them. <laughs> and we're back from another Skype issue, but I think we have it fixed now. So you were talking about drive. I was. Um, and motivation. So I was. And so, I'll have to go back and listen to the podcast to figure out what my train of thought was. <laughs> where you were. <laughs> okay. So to continue on with the article, though, um, mm-hmm. is he, he continues on. Alfred Cohn continues on with um, – are all kids entitled to a great education? Of course. But does that mean that all kids should get the same education? High standards don't require common standards. Uniformity is not the same thing as excellence or equity. In fact, one-size-fits-all demands may offer the illusion of fairness, setting back the cause of genuine equity. Um, to recognize these simple truths, to watch the na- rational for national standards collapse into a heap of intellectual rubble. Um, again, he goes on with the, there's no evidence in other countries that are as diverse as ours um, that have national standards or curricula, engage in unusually deep thinking, or are particularly excited about learning. Um, quote, even standardized test results, such as those on the trends in international mathematics and study, science study, provide no support. Um, and as an aside, that's another report that just came out, um, I think this last week or two. And they say that, uh, you know, he says eight of the top ten scoring countries had centralized education systems, but so did nine of the ten lowest scoring countries. In math, and eight of the ten lowest-scoring countries in science. So, and uh, quote. So, if students don't benefit from uniformity, who does? And I think that's an important question to ask. Who is it that benefits from uh, from a lot of these changes? Is is it really about what the students can do? Is it really about the students, or is it about someone else? Um, and he proposes that presumably corporations that sell curriculum materials and tests will enjoy lower costs. Policymakers who confuse doing well with beating others. Quote, if you're determined to evaluate students or schools in relative terms, it helps if they're doing all doing the same thing. But why would you want to turn learning into a competitive sport? This is one of the things that I think a lot of people misunderstand. And this goes back to the Lake Wobegon of we want every kid to be above average. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the tests are relative tests. They're testing what kids know and can do in relative terms to other kids. Which means then that you can't have everyone doing really, really well. 
all you can do is have some groups doing better than other groups. And it doesn't really tell you what kids can even do or what they know. It just tells you whether they know more or less than somebody else. And you can't get them a you can't get the majority of kids over 50%. <laughs> no matter what, cuz it's all done in it's done in relative forms. So um and he he talks about the um if if children in communities are different from one another, the only safe way to apply to a standard uh, to all of them is to, hopper, to operate at a high level of, of abstraction. Um, and then the reasonable sounding ob- objectives employed to defend an agenda of specificity, quote, focused, coherent, precise, clear, ought to make us nervous. If standards compromise low, narrowly defined facts and skills, then education consists of transmitting vast quantities of materials to students, material that even the most successful may not remember, care about, or be able to use. This is exactly what most state standards have already become, and it's where national standards are heading, even if, in theory, they could be otherwise. Specificity is what business groups and newspaper editorials want. It's demanded by theorists who think that being well-educated mostly means knowing a lot of facts. It's been a major criterion by which Education Week and conservative think tanks like Thomas B. Fordham Institute evaluate standards documents. In any case, Achieve Inc. and the governors probably won't need much convincing. They'll give us the specifics in spades. Um, and, And when we talked earlier about um, Tennessee going to evaluation, like all like all other states, of test scores being a, a major evaluative response for teachers. That's part of what I think we're talking about here. Is you know we're giving a lot of power to this one standardized test. We're using it for kids. We're using it for schools. We're using it to evaluate teachers. It's a multiple choice test. Um, finally, quote, going back to Alfie Khan, finally, what's the purpose of demanding that every kid in every school in every state must be able to do the same thing in the same year with the teachers pressure, pressured to, quote, align their instruction to a master curriculum and a standardized test? Um, and, and I think, you know, if you think about how different people are around the United States and around the world, do we want everybody to be exactly the same, have exactly the same skill set, have exactly the same outlook, have exactly the same? Um, and that's one of the criticism that he brings forth and something that others have brought forth as well. Um, I'll, I'll continue on. He, he, and this is quoting Elfie again. If you read the FAQ pages on the Common Core Standards website, don't bother looking for words like exploration, intrinsic motivation, developmentally appropriate, or democracy. Instead, the very first sentence contains the phrase, quote, success in the global economy, followed immediately by America's competitive edge. And I think this is uh, an interesting 
observation, and it's an interesting point because it looks at a very business-centric point of view. Obviously, you want kids to have jobs and be able to do things, but when your focus is success in the global economy, as the goal, not as a derivative goal, but as the main goal, that says something about our values and our our attitudes. Um, if these standards are, uh, I'll quote Alfie again, if these standards are more economic than educational in their inspiration, more about winning than learning, devoted more to serving the interest of business than to meeting the needs of kids, then we've merely painted a 21st century facade on a hoary, dreary model of school as employee training. Anyone who recoils from that vision should strenuously resist a proposal for national standards that embodies it. You know, we talk about not knowing about how kids are going to be doing jobs that don't exist, and we don't know what the future is going to be doing and how much of a revolution in, uh, that we're going through right now. And then there is the attitude of some of, let's prepare kids for work. Um, finally, quote, yes, we want excellent teaching and learning for all, although our emphasis should be less on achievement, read test scores, than on students' achievements. Offered a list of standards, we should scrutinize each one, but also ask who came up with them and for what purpose. Is there room for discussion and disagreement, and not just by experts, regarding what and how we're teaching and how authentic our criteria are for judging success? Or is this a matter of, quote, obey or else, with tests to enforce compliance? Um, So I think it's an interesting article. I think he brings a lot of really good points up as to, you know, what's happening and where it's happening. One of the... Uh, responses down below, I think, is kind of interesting because we're kind of sitting in this in this position um, related to what you you just talked about. Mm-hmm. But at the very end of the uh, of the uh, um, response comment, they said, "Finally, if there isn't a very abrupt halt and gut check performed on the and this is of course their opinion um, on the Arnie Duncan train wreck that calls itself teacher accountability evaluation reform, the only hope for keeping schools open will be a national curriculum." which everybody at the street can key up on a whiteboard while filling up paperwork for federal funding. Um, the amount of federal funding paperwork we've been doing the past two weeks has been mind-boggling. I, not necessarily a direct segue there, but mm-hmm. I just thought it was an interesting spot. There's some very interesting comments in the comments section, um, and that's worth looking at too besides the article. So I would encourage you to pop down there and take a look at those. Yeah, there are some interesting articles, as, uh, some interesting comments as well. And I think we have to balance the the um, points of view of education is okay, we don't need to change anything, with the education needs to follow the business model and be changed everywhere. You know, there, there, part of this is uh, goes back to educators or the education community as a whole – not being willing to make changes that we needed to, that we need to make as well, and if we don't change, then someone's going to change it for us. 
And, you know, and we've talked about that, and we've talked about how that's happening. And I think the federal government is getting smarter and smarter and smarter about how it is they're, they're um, looking to do this change. Mm-hmm. I think they're getting right on. I think they're getting on. They're getting very, very good at this. So, um, and I think that, you know, maybe we ought to put together some proposals of what it should look like and how there could be accountability for making sure that um, education is preparing kids for the future. A couple of good links in the uh, in the in the opinions page too. Uh, one to a uh, Shawnee North Shawnee Mission North teacher, a serious Facebook fans, nine hundred and sixty. But it's it's mostly about um, kids saying, you know, please don't take our teacher away. Um, he's been teaching there for twenty two years, uh, twelve at SMNN, and one of the reasons why he's being his position is being eliminated is uh, the very thing that we just talked about. So, mm-hmm. lots of good follow up stuff there. All right. So an interesting article and in, in, in presents a different point of view, a response to when people say, yeah, but you, you just don't want to be accountable. Yeah, but you just don't want national standards because because then, you know, we can gauge you against somebody else kind of thing. So um, certainly some good points in there. Um, another web spotlight that is in this one quickly is um, – a national yardstick for gauging math progress. We're going to put a link to the article in there and also to the actual PDF, which is uh, which is kind of interesting um, that they've managed to do a math progress index where they've broken the scores down into two major categories, um, performance and improvement. And so look at fourth grade and eighth grade math, and then the math poverty gap for eighth grade in the math advanced placement. And so looking at that for performance and for improvement, and they come up with, uh, it's based off the NAEP. So, you know, and then again, here is the, the, you know, you've got this range where they can put numbers on things. Uh, Massachusetts, by the way, comes out on top. Louisiana comes out on the bottom. Um, and right about the middle, um, I'm going to take a guess at where the actual middle is, but the middle is probably around Wyoming, since that's the average, and they have the average. So... Um, so you know you can you can check that out, especially if you're good with uh, numbers and figure out what numbers mean. But the again the issue is we're um, you know we're quantifying things, and one of the things you have to look at is the background of what we're quantifying, because I think you know frequently one of the one of the issues that I sometimes have with Marzano is that he quantifies all this stuff. But he does not doing the research himself, so he's taking this research from other places and combining a whole lot of it. Um, and you just need to be aware of where he, where the numbers are coming from, because if you have a whole bunch of people with the same bias, <laughs> you get biased results. Mm-hmm. You know, you just need to be aware of that. So, take a look at that. Um, 
You wanted to make people aware of the new short throw data projectors. I just want to throw in there just briefly. Uh, with Promethean boards and a number of smart boards becoming very popular, this may be a cheaper way to, to do it. Uh, Epson has new short throw data projectors. Uh, it can be two and a half inches away from the screen and throw an image. Uh, you only need, you can get a 60 inch diagonal image from 18 inches away from the, the board or the surface. You don't need a whiteboard to do it. Um, the person I read about it, well, um, Todd Williamson posted the, uh, about this. Mm-hmm. Imagine getting one of those Wii devices that you augment and change into a smart board device. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there, you, you know, for that price and the price of this data projector, you've got a, a smart board. No matter where you go, just aim it and where you go. Away you go. So you may not, we may be coming to the day and age where you don't need a, a Promethean board board to do a Promethean board. Right. And that's very predictable as yep. well. But the, the data there, the technology is now here. Right. Uh, so right. if you've got $1,600 or $1,700, this too could be yours. There you go. Okay. And um, you were going to do the closing session for NMSA 09. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could do that. You got, you got 30 seconds. Go. This doesn't, uh, <laughs> it was great. See ya, folks. <laughs> Um, no, it was. This was the best closing keynote of any MSA that I've been to, and I've been to five or six of them now. So, yeah. um, this was an excellent, excellent choice. Uh, hats off to Kathy uh, Thibodeau for for making this call. Yeah, and one of the this is this was one of the profound changes that they and I think they listened to the attendees on this one because previously they've always had um, a celebrity. Mm-hmm. And they used that word pretty freely. <laughs> Had a celebrity do the closing, and this time they did a, a a well. They still had a celebrity, but it was a celebrity educator. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's actually it was a takeoff on a presentation he's done at NMSA before. Uh, some folks I've gone to NMSA with said that they'd seen this part. So he integrated this with, I think, some new stuff. But they enjoyed it just as much as when they saw it back in Tennessee. And the reality is that you've got a shtick. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> you go know, with it. Because we had Rick Warmly in, and he did the – because part of this is the um, sound of music as evaluation, mm-hmm. as assessment. And he's done that for a long time, and it's but it's still good to watch. I, you know, it's one of those things that no matter how many times you've seen it, it's still fun. Oh, I love the way he incorporated the kids that were in the band that played the music before the session yep. opened. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Great way to do that. Yep. Um, but I also understand that some folks got a preview just by sitting outside because he, he rehearsed it with the kids, and it was just as good the second time they said so. Yeah. Uh, some key points. Um, from and This was entitled Teaching in 4D, and he had four dimensions and used the whole, you know, arrows and lines and things. Um but there are some key questions and, and some key points. Um, expertise was an element that you talked about. What, what elements of this we believe have we really integrated into our teaching? Uh, we teach in ways they best learn, not we best learn. Uh, and that was, a, that was a particular challenge uh, to me to reexamine what I was doing with my kids. Uh, teachers have their own secret code, and so the kids don't know what, go, what is going on. I, used, I tell my kids this one, and they just look at me and go, yeah, yeah, that's true. It's cursive yep. every that's time. Sec- that secret code is called? Cursive. Um, we don't settle for this reality in exchange of a potential reality. 
Uh, I love the, and I try, I've been trying this since the keynote. Uh, if a kid responds, I don't know. And you, then you respond, if you did know, what would you say? And it's, it amazes me every time. Almost 90% of the time they come up with the right answer. Yeah, I don't remember if I got this from Rick or if I got this from somebody else and Rick also got it from somebody else. I really don't remember. But Mm -hmm. I've been using this for a long time and it just works. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He gave a a significant amount of time promoting uh, fine arts as giving dimension and meaning to, uh, to learning. And kids need to eat every 90 minutes or they lose cognition. And I need to eat every 90 minutes or I lose my teaching cognition. Uh, irritability, I didn't realize this, but irritability is the first sign of de- dehydration. So maybe getting that kid who's acting out and ticked, sending him to the drinking fountain for a timeout and back is not a bad idea. Not to mention, watch your own, especially this time of year when everything is dry, uh, your own dehydration. Mm-hmm. Are you starting to feel a little irritated? Not even just a little irritated, but um, if you notice it in yourself, it's time to step back, take a drink of water, rehydrate, and come back at it again. Uh, the other dimension, or another dimension, is creativity. It needs to be the mantra of the middle school teacher, which is, let me get out of the way. Open up possibilities for students to express what they've learned. Uh, we need to teach our kids how to ask really good questions. Uh, thems that ask the questions are doing the learning. Uh, teach in different ways. How would you teach if you couldn't give homework? How would you teach if there wasn't such a thing as long-term memory? Um, and I think the creativity part was was big for me because – and he talks about how – and he talked a little bit about how much limiting we can be for kids mm-hmm. because we have our constructs and, you know, open things up. Although Another, it's hard to do on a multiple choice test. Yeah, well, it is. That's not what gets assessed and that's why I'm going to go look at that one of those links in that previous article because they, they're talking about a teacher who does this instead of – the multiple choice testing, but mm-hmm. um, let's see. Oh, failure. And this has been a topic in the middle talk um, listserv for several days. Now is what do you do about, you know, kids, do you get, how many times do you give a kid a chance to repeat an assignment? Uh, and failure is one of the dimensions that uh, Rick talked about uh, being concerned with the demonization of failure. Failure is a necessary thing. It's a hard teacher, but it's a necessary thing. Uh, differentiate the assessment. If the assessment is not the product, um, the person who never makes mistakes takes his order from the one who does. Orders from the one who does. And I thought that was interesting too. So you know what? Give them a chance to fail and experience failure. Because then they aid, or then they know what success is like, but they also understand the more the benefits of success. Being successful all the time generally doesn't is it's not as huge a learning experience, I would suppose. So they, you know, we've talked about I don't know if we talked about this or not, but college um Professors will say they'll, they'll take a, a B or C student sometimes before an A student because that A student doesn't know how to handle failure and, and problems when they get into college. It's the, it's the one who's got the B or C and has failed or, or you know struggled with things at times that keeps persisting and keeps going and doesn't uh, drop out or, or, or have problems with their classes when they get to college. Uh, let's see, rim waivers. Um, this, the, the child digs a pit and the teacher stands at the rim and waves. So don't be a rim waver. Jump into the pit and tell the kid, I've been here before. I know the way out. Let's go together. Mm-hmm. Uh, redos. And this is the, 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 the topic that's been hitting the listserv. Uh, let them redo. And then everybody says, but if I let them redo, then I've got all this other stuff to do. Are there, are there better ways to do it? Not to mention everything's going to come due right at the end of the quarter, which is 
Typical middle school. Uh, every real-world test does, and he went through a whole string of tests that you can repeat and redo again and again, as many times as you need. Uh, make it a learning experience, and but also make it a small hassle to redo it, but let them redo it. So in other words, they've, they've got to really they've got to step up. Mm-hmm. Make them get permission from a parent to do a redo. Then you've also got parents going, oh, my kid didn't do well in this test. Charge $5 for a redo and finance the budget. Okay, that wasn't serious. Uh, courage is not the absence. This is a quote. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the judgment that something else is more important than that fear. Now, I think he quoted Horace Redmond on that. Uh, collaboration, which, of course, is a hallmark of middle school uh, curriculum. Uh, there is a democratization of knowledge. Uh, you can't be the 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 sage on the stage, as, as Troy said in past pod, podcasts, because if you're wrong, they can go somewhere and find out. So you, it's more along the lines of helping them find what they need to do, uh, show master of knowledge. Big advocate of full use of personal technology in his speech. Uh, that got a huge cheer from teachers. I don't think there's an IT person in the building. Um, narcissism. Feed off of it and play to their strengths, they are naturally narcissistic. So find things that will feed that uh, that narcissism that will help them show mastery of knowledge. Join a listserv. And then he said, middle talk rules. And I think I would co-cheer co, co, co that with him. Mm-hmm. And then I'm hoping to build a, uh, get the building uh, reps to, or the building reps, the building members to get on uh, middle talk listserv as well here soon. Are they, have they, has your building been able to get on to middle talk yet? I am now on middle talk. Yay! Uh, let's see. Doubt is the compass rose to an educator whose voice is not being heard. Uh, he just wrote a book on metaphors, and so he asked a question, how do our metaphors limit us? Core classes, what are others then? LD, learn differently or learning disabled? Uh, what is the role of homework? Does it matter when the student learns it? And we know from experience that um, not everybody learns everything at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that may mean years of a part of difference. And then he told the general Westmoreland paratrooper story, which is we need to hang out with folks who inspire us to be better teachers. Uh, general Westmoreland, Westmoreland was talking to a bunch of paratroopers, and he says, son, why did you want to be a paratrooper? Well, sir, I want to jump out of planes. Why did you want to be a paratrooper? Well, sir, I want to jump out of planes. Uh, why do you want to be a paratrooper? I want to hang out with these guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we want, uh, we want teachers who want to hang out with these guys and they did his famous uh sound of music video and i will not ruin it if you've not seen it you that's that's priceless you've you this and then you've got to see him on the stage in front of the video doing his his thing yes yes so it was a very well done closing keynote i can't tell you how um nice it was to have a closing keynote that uh, didn't leave me going mm-hmm yep mm-hmm yeah yeah. And I agree. One of the things that interested me as well was this is the first time I've heard anyone on na- at National Middle School um, quote or refer to Don Tapscott as well. And he was the first one I've heard talk about Don Tapscott and the whole growing up digital and mm. and how kids are different and how their brains are being wired differently um, aspect as well. So I thought that was interesting. I think that's uh, I wonder if that's going to be a, a little bit of a movement to um, acknowledge that you know the kids are a little bit different and they're looking different and um, 
thinking different and all that good stuff. All right, well, that's going to bring us to a close for another week. We hope that you will head over to the website at middleschoolmatters.com and post mm-hmm. a comment. Shoot us an email at uh, middleschooleducators at gmail.com. Um, follow us on Twitter at msmatters.com. Um, or... Uh, and we'd really like to hear from you. It would, oh, iTunes, that's the other one. We yep. really would like you to head over to iTunes for us and um, give us a you know a little vote, a little five-star rating there would be greatly appreciated. Mm, yes. <laughs> and, um, and a review as well. We'd appreciate that because I think that really helps us with um, keeping current in what's going on and what you guys want. So until next week, this is Middle School Matters. Middle school educators who care.